Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. One of the greatest revivals that this nation has ever experienced. Lisa said, this is my church. Welcome, Lisa. We are on the verge of one of the greatest moves of God we have ever seen right now. If you don't know this, I know there's a lot of negative stuff going on right now with the coronavirus, but we are in the middle of one of the greatest revivals this nation has ever seen. People are seeking right now. People are looking for answers right now. People are hungry for truth right now. And they realize that everything going on is a sign of the times that we are living in. Friend, everything we're seen with these earthquakes they're saying now that the sun is the lowest whatever it's the weakest it's ever been and now they're saying this there's a new virus for children and now they're saying there's murder hornets everything going on right now the hour that we are living in is signs of the times the bible says that the earth is groaning and it is in labor pains let me explain this to you that when america when the world ignores the preachers and the prophets right now america has ignored the prophets they've ignored the preachers and so what happens when they ignore the preachers and the prophets is nature begins to preach as the earth begins to preach right now we are in a time of revival and awakening where the earth is preaching that we are in the last days friend we don't have time to get everything together we don't have time to play church we don't have time to go back and forth and live our lives in the shallow end and the kiddie pool of Christianity God is moving you deeper I believe God has brought you to this community God has brought you to this family because the Lord is moving you deeper God says it's time to get out of the shallow end some of you, you need to take the floaties off of your arms. You need to take the life jacket off and say, God, I want to go deep. I'm tired of living shallow. Right now, we are in a time where the world is looking for answers. And there is a weak church in America that is not giving them what the Bible commands us to give them. People are coming into their churches sick and they're leaving sick. People are coming to our churches with demons and leaving with demons. If you knew the hundreds of messages I get of people saying, Isaiah, I don't understand why my church does not preach on miracles. I don't understand why my church does not preach on the demonic. The devil has silenced the body of Christ. And I'm telling you, it is time for the church to get back to the place of worship, the place of prayer, the place of casting out demons, healing the sick and raising the dead. Some of you need to say, God, I'll be the one in my church that stands in the gap. I'll be the one that believes for miracles. I'll be the one that believes for deliverance. You got to get tired of being around a bunch of dead Christians. You got to get tired of being in a church that doesn't preach on miracles. You got to get tired of being in a church that doesn't preach on deliverance. We need churches to rise up that would preach the entire gospel. This world is not going to be healed if all we preach is your best life now. This world is not going to be healed if all we preach is politics all day long. We need to get back to preaching on signs and wonders and miracles. How many know we need to get back to preaching on repentance? When's the last time you heard a sermon on hell in your church? When's the last time you heard a sermon on repentance in your church? When's the last time you heard a sermon on the narrow road? I'm challenging some of you pastors. We need to get back to preaching the offensive word of God. It is only when we preach the truth that life comes. It is only when we preach the truth that miracles can break out. There's a reason why many of you in the chat say, I was in church my entire life and I didn't get saved until 30 years being in church. I walked into a church 
that believed in miracles. I walked them to a church that believed in deliverance and I got set free. It is not okay that people are in our churches dying of cancer, in our churches dying of suicide, in our churches dying of depression, and we are not giving them the answers. I was just reading this week that Psalms 22, 27 says from the four corners of the earth. And guys, this is prophetic tonight. I'm telling you, God is speaking something right now from the four corners of the earth. People are coming back to their senses and the Bible says they are running back to God. I love this. This is a word for you that long lost families are falling on their faces before him that God has taken charge. And from now on, God will have the last word. This is a prophetic word that people that have backslidden that have run from God are are coming back to their senses and that God will have the last word. It's time for some of you to say, God, I'm going to let you take charge in my life. I'm going to let you take control in my life. I'm going to let you have the last word in my life. See, what you need to understand is the enemy wants the last word. The enemy is like your kid when you're arguing with him and they always have to have the last word. The enemy is like your husband when you're arguing with him. Come on, some ladies, some of you need to tag your husband and he always has to have the last word. The enemy like your wife that always has to have the last word but in this portion of Psalms David said we're coming to an hour where God says I will have the last word when the enemy says you're a loser when the enemy says you're a failure when the enemy says you'll never have victory God says I'm gonna have the last word in your body I'm gonna have the last word in your marriage I'm gonna have the last word with your kids I'm telling you right now God is about to have the final say over your circumstance right now that when I'm telling you right now that God is getting ready to take charge and families are going to begin to come back. I believe and I want to prophesy this as I get started tonight that we are in the hour of the prodigals coming home. If you have prodigals that have been wandering off, if you have prodigals and you've been believing for, I want you to type one in the chat if you have some prodigals that you've been believing for. I believe right now is the season where the prodigals are getting ready to come home. I speak right now. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost in my office right now. I speak that every prodigal is going to come to their senses. See, the Bible says that the prodigal son was eating with the pigs and all of a sudden he came to his senses and said, wait a minute, it was better in my father's house. And I want to prophesy over your kids. I want to prophesy over your unsaved husband. I want to prophesy over your wife. I felt the Holy Ghost that the prodigals are getting ready to come back to their senses, that those that have been wandering off for years, those that have been straying off for years, those that have been uh, eating mud and dancing with pigs and living in the pig's pen, come on, share this stream. I believe tonight they are coming back to their senses. I believe tonight they're going to be restored. They're going to be renewed. I'm asking that angels would go out and would reach them. I'm asking that angels would go out and they would encounter them. I believe we are in the season of the prodigals coming home. Somebody needs to lift their hands and receive this word. I believe this is a season where that ex-girlfriend you've been praying for is going to get saved. I believe this is a season where that kid that's addicted is going to get saved. I believe this is a season where that back backslidden pastor is going to come back to the Lord. I know right now there's somebody that left the ministry that's backslidden and God says it's time for you to come home, that it was better in your father's house than it was in the pig pen. Come on, do I need to turn my mic up tonight? I believe this is the season and this is the hour that God wants to bring the prodigals back to their senses. Some of you need to begin to pray for that kid that you raised in church and say, come back to their senses in the name of Jesus. The enemy thought that he wrapped him up and bound him 
them up, but God says, I'm getting ready to loose the prodigals. Uh, I'm getting ready to deliver the prodigals. Uh, I'm getting ready to bring your son. Come on, your son has a call to the ministry. Your son might be out right now drinking and partying and going to church once in a while, but God says they were marked and they were called and they can't run from the calling and they can't run from the, I'm going to preach my voice gone tonight. And they can't run from the assignment that ha- they have on, I have on their life. You need to remember when they were kids and you brought them to those tent revivals. You need to remember all those nights that you prayed over them when they were in your womb. You need to remember all those times that that prodigal was in the father's house. But I'm saying get ready, get ready, get ready because the Lord is going to bring them back. And as David said, long lost families are going to come back to the Lord and they're going to get on their faces once again. Some of you had your entire family in the ministry. I'm preaching to somebody I know right now in the chat and your family has strayed off, but God says, I'm getting ready to bring your family. I can just prophesy here all night. I'm getting ready to bring long lost families back to the Lord because God says in Psalms, I'm going to have the last word. Devil, you will not have the last word, but God says, I will have the last word. The devil is a liar and I need somebody right now to let the enemy know that enough is enough tonight I'm breaking up with you you might have tried to beat me down you might have tried to rob me but tonight God says I'm gonna set somebody free I'm gonna deliver somebody by faith that you need to keep praying and you need to keep believing and you need to keep remembering that at one time this is what I need you to remember and very this is very important that at one time you were an enemy of God at one time you were separated from God At one time, you were just like your unsafe family and unsafe friends and your neighbors that are dying and they're going to end up in hell if you don't preach to them. This is why, let me tell you why we don't have a burden to preach to somebody. And if you guys don't stop shouting me down because you guys are shouting me down right here in the comments, I might just end up going two hours tonight, okay? I don't really want to, but if you guys stay on here and keep sharing, I just might, I don't know. But I'm telling you right now, you need to remember that at one time you were separated and God reconciled you to himself. See, the Bible says, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Your assignment and your calling is to reconcile people back to God. Colossians 1.19 says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Guys, listen to what he's saying here. And through him, God reconciled everything back to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and everything on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this is what he says, and that includes you who were once far away from God and you were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and your evil actions. Yet now the Bible says he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ. As a result, he has brought you into his presence. And oh, I need you to stay with me before I run around my office. And you are now holy and blameless as you stand before God without a single fault. That's in Colossians 1.19. Here's what Paul was saying. There was a separation at one time between you and God, and God through Jesus has reconciled you. The Bible says that you are separated by your constant evil actions and evil thoughts. You used to hate him. The carnal man, the Bible says, is at war against God. It's constantly fighting God, but now God has reconciled you. I don't know about 
about you, but I am excited tonight that I have been reconciled with God. I am excited tonight that at one time I was an enemy of God. At one time I could not stand the Lord, but God in his great kindness and in his great mercy has reconciled me back to Christ. And now I've been anointed and I've been called, come on, help me by sharing this, to reconcile other people. So the question has to be, who have I reconciled back to God? I'm the person that's been called to preach. I'm the person that's been called to share. I've been, I'm called and I'm anointed and I'm assigned to reconnect people that there was a separation or the Bible says a chasm between me and God that I couldn't get to God if I wanted to. And Jesus came down and said, I'm going to tear the veil. I'm going to remove the distance and I'm going to reconnect you. Oh, I don't know about you, but I am so excited that I've been reconnected to God. I'm so excited. Thank you, Jesus, that when I was out cussing and smoking and drinking and partying and I was out there the en- and the enemy had me bound, that God said, I'm going to send my only son not just to die for you but to die as you and I'm going to reconcile you back to God and we've been given this ministry I'm telling you right now that there's some of you watching that you're far off from God you've backslidden you're not saved and I'm telling you tonight just try Jesus if you don't like him the enemy has no problem giving you your depression back if you don't like Jesus the enemy has no problem giving you your anxiety back if you don't like Jesus the enemy has no problem giving you your addiction back thank you Veronica for that donation If you don't like Jesus, the enemy has no problem taking you back, but you need to just try it. Don't be like me whenever my wife says, try this food, and I I never want to try anything new. And what I've always come to find is that years will go by after not trying a certain type of food, and then I'll finally try it and say, man, this was amazing. I should have tried this a long time ago. Don't do that with Jesus. Don't say, man, don't let years go by, and then say, man, I should have tried Jesus a long time ago. I want to tell you tonight to Just try Jesus because once you've tasted him, you're going to say, this is so good. I wish I would have tried this a long time ago. See, for 19 years, I didn't try Jesus. And the day that I tried him, I said, man, I wish I would have tried him so long ago. I want to tell you, he is not like the hypocritical Christians that you know. He is not like the liars that you know. He's not like that person that abandoned you and abused you. Our God is so good and our God is so kind and so caring and tonight night is a night to just try him. I want to challenge some of you just try prayer. I want to challenge some of you just try fasting. Come on, am I preaching to anybody? I want to tell somebody just try holiness. I want to tell somebody tonight just try repentance. Just try being faithful. Just try reading God's word. Just try passion. Just try shouting. Some of you say, well, I don't know about that shouting. Well, just try it. Some of you say, I don't know about that passion. Well, just try it. Some of you say, I don't know about those all night prayer meetings but I'm telling you, just try it. Come on, Edwin said you're preaching to me. Thank you, brother. See, the Bible says, because if you do as a result, you will be holy and blameless and stand before God without a single fault. After everything that you and I have done, after every sin that we've committed, every bad thing, the Bible says that you, God sees nothing on you but someone that is holy and someone that is blameless. Why would you not? Let me ask you this question tonight. 
Why would you not want to serve a God like the God that I'm describing? Why would you not want to serve this God after all that he says he's done for you? He says, come as you are and let me change you. You are so content and intent with serving darkness. I'm here to preach to somebody. Some of you are so content with serving darkness and the enemy. But let me ask you this. What has the devil done for you? I want you to stop and think because you spend hours during the week serving him and you give God an hour left over time on Sunday, but ask yourself this question. What has the enemy done for you? Made you depressed? Come on, if you're not saved, I need you to hear me. Torn your family apart? Um, addicted your kids? Made you lose your job? Made you lose your marriage? Made you strung out? Made you live in a dope house? I mean, just think about it. You've spent years serving the enemy, and I came to put him on notice tonight because I want you to ask yourself, what has the enemy done for you that makes you so committed to his kingdom? What has the enemy done for you that makes you spend so much time Time doing things for him, but so little doing things for God. See, the same way that God wants to change you, you need to understand that so does the enemy. The same way God has a specific plan and a person that he wants you to be, the enemy has a person and a plan for your life. This is what most preachers are afraid to tell you, that it's not just God that has a strategy for you, but it's also the enemy that has a strategy for you. It's not just God that has a plan for you, but the enemy also has a plan for you you. And tonight I came to break every assignment and expose every plan the enemy has for your life. The plan that the enemy has for your mind, the plan that the enemy has for your kids, the plan that the enemy has for your marriage. Tonight enough is enough. It's time to break it. God has been fighting for you. Stop fighting God and let God change you. All these years you've been fighting the will of God. I feel like preaching tonight. All these years you've been fighting the plan of God. And God is saying tonight just surrender to night just say you know what I give up I'm telling God tonight I'm responding to this message tonight God I give up I've been fighting you for so long I've been going against you for so long I've been I've been stressed out and tired because I've been fighting the plan of God in my life I'm tired of being in your way I'm ready to be in your will it's time to stop fighting the plan of God and just submit and put your hands up and say Lord I surrender I'm tired of doing it come on is there anybody tired in the house tonight? Is there anybody tired in the chat tonight? I'm tired of doing it my own way. I'm tired of living on the wrong side of the Jordan. I'm tired of walking on the wrong side of the fence. I'm tired of living in the trap house. I want to live in God's house. I want to tell you that there is peace in the house of God. I want to tell you that there is joy in the house of God. I want to tell you that there is fullness of life in the house of God. And I don't understand why I have to beg you to serve him. I don't have to understand why I have to beg you to, and convince you to follow God. The Bible says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And God says, I've come to bring life and bring life more abundantly. Why are we trying to convince people? Here's what Jesus says. He says, here's what the devil does. The devil steals from you. The devil robs you. And I'm going to preach this message to you tonight about how the devil wants to rob you and how he's been trying to rob you. The devil says I, he wants to kill you. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to ruin your family. 
He wants to ruin your ministry. He wants to ruin your mind and he wants to ruin your body. The devil will bring total destruction over every area of your life. Understand friend, demons are assigned to bring destruction on your life. They'll bring destruction. They don't care if it's under eating or they don't care if it's through un overeating. They don't care if it's through your marriage. They don't care if it's through your kids. The devil's job is to bring destruction and to destroy, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your mind, to destroy your body, to destroy your children. He is always lurking, trying to figure out a pathway to destruction. And in the meantime, while the enemy is lurking, God says, here's what I want to do. I want to bring life. I want to bring peace. I want to give you joy, man. If you're not getting blessed tonight, I'm getting blessed. I'm about to donate to myself tonight. Okay. I, I came to save you. I came to deliver you from all types of demonic bondage. He says, I came to give you a reason to get out of bed. I came to give you a reason to be excited. I came to give you a reason. I came to bless your family. I came to heal your body. I want to prosper you in every area of your life. And you say, I look at what the enemy wants to do. And then I look at what God wants to do. And for some reason, I still have to sit here and I have to convince you to serve God. I have to convince you to worship God. I have to convince you to get off the addictions and all and the enemy's just a thief that wants to rob you. And I believe in the American church and in America, we have settled for the enemy's substitute of what God designed. You have to understand that everything the enemy does is a perversion of what God has already done. The devil is a substitutor and a prostitutor. He does not make anything new. The devil, remember, the devil has no creative power. The devil can't create more demons. The devil can't create new strategies. The devil has to only pervert or mimic what God God is doing. The devil did not create pleasure, okay? The devil did not create passion. He did not create peace. He did not create purpose or destiny. So you have to choose tonight. I can either have God's version or I can have the enemy's version. That's what most people don't understand that the word perversion, it means the wrong version. That is why fornication is perversion. Why? Because it's the wrong version. Sex was not intended to happen outside of marriage. It was intended to happen inside of marriage, but the devil has perverted it and that's why it's perverted version. That is why some of you right now, and I'm getting real tonight, are dealing with the spirit of perversion. It's not just sexual perversion, but it's living your life. This is going to set you free if you catch this tonight. This is living your life, living out the enemy's version of peace, the enemy's version of joy, the enemy's version of passion. And so the church, because we're lazy and we don't want to pray and we don't want to fast, what we do is we allow the devil's version to come in the church. And now we have a perverted God. I said it. We have a perverted gospel. We have perverted worship. We have perverted fasting. We say now, oh, if you just want to fast, you can just fast chocolate ice cream or fast your Facebook. The Bible would call fasting is to shut your mouth and it's to only drink water. I'm telling you guys, we need to get back to the Bible. I'm not being legalistic here. I'm just telling you that we have perversions. Are you, are you staying with me tonight? We have perversions in the house of God and it's time to stop settling for the devil's version of worship and get back to God's version of worship. See, the devil's version is just sing three songs off of a board and live however you want. Thank you so much for that donation. But God's version is to lay your life down on an altar. That's God's actual version. But the devil has brought in his own version. But you have to understand that you can have God's version tonight or you can keep settling for the enemies. But I want you to ask yourself, where has the enemy got me? Where did the drugs get me? Where did the alcohol get me? Where has the fighting got me? Where 
Where has the anger got me? Where has the addiction got me? Some of you have bought into his lies and you've just sat there and you're now li li you're living your life in a perverted gospel. Our whole generation, well, we it's all right, just relax. Let's get lit and let's do this. Oh, bro, don't even worry about it. But friend, you have to understand something that the enemy did not create getting lit. See, that, was a, that was a big buzzword last year. Everybody wanted to get lit and get high and get drunk and get this and get that. But this was just a perversion because our God is not a boring God. Our God is not a dead, stale God. Our God is an exciting God. The reason why young people do not want to serve God and come to our churches is because we've created a perverted Jesus and another gospel that's a boring gospel. Friend, getting lit was not created by Snoop Dogg. Getting lit was created in the upper room when 120 men gathered for 10 days and got lit with the fire of the Holy Ghost. You have to understand something that we're not talking about the fire coming and becoming a secondhand witness, but God says, I want the fire to show up so that you can be a firsthand witness witness so that you can say, I've seen this stuff with my own eyes. Believe me, friend, if I was just making this up tonight, I would not be passionate the way that I'm passionate. I was an atheist 10 years ago. Okay. No one's paying me to say this. I'm preaching because I have seen God heal people with my own eyes. I have watched God restore marriages with my own eyes. I have seen cancer healed with my own eyes. I have watched diabetes broken with my own eyes. I have watched God restore families and take drug addicts off the street with my own eyes. I have seen people that said, they said, you can never get a job with that resume. Get jobs, they were not qualified. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a secondhand witness. I want to be a firsthand witness. I got. I need somebody in the chat to say, I am tired of fake. I am tired of fabricated. And I am tired of this counterfeited gospel. I want the gospel of the Bible. I'm telling you right now, I am so tired of fake Christians. I am so tired of fake followers. I am so tired of fake disciples. I am so tired of fake pastors that are preaching for followers and approval. I am so tired of all the fake. I could jump on people's things and I'm not trying to be the judge of everybody's preaching, but I could tell, man, this guy is just faking it. He doesn't believe this. He doesn't live it. Guys, I don't want to be fake. There's not a day that goes by where I say, God, I want to be real. I want my passion to be real. I want my fire to be real. I want my prayer life to be real. I don't want to live my life like the church of Sardis with a reputation of being alive, but actually being dead. Come on, share the stream. If you're tired of fake, I'm tired of all this fake. Would somebody please tell me about the real Jesus of the Bible? Would somebody please stop beating around the bush and tell me, am I going to hell or not? Would somebody please tell me whether God could heal my body or not? Stop dancing around and say, oh, well, maybe demons are real and maybe you could get delivered pastors get some backbone I don't understand why some of you pastors in the chat right now are so afraid of talking about the demonic I'm gonna take a side note because it's my stream and if you're too afraid you could just jump off here I'm telling you some of you pastors stop being afraid to talk about the demonic when Jesus cast demons out everywhere he go went stop being afraid to talk about money some of you are so afraid well you know guys I don't really know if I should talk about money I know tons of guys that say I don't even take up offerings in our church anymore we don't talk about money if people feel 
feel like giving, they'll give. Well, that's weird because the Bible talks about it. We have to stop being afraid to address what the Bible and what Jesus was not afraid to address. We need to get back to blowing the trumpet and preaching on stuff that nobody else wants to preach on. I'm I'm proud that I'm willing to preach on stuff nobody else wants to preach on. Some of you need to take the pacifier out of your mouth and you need to find a company of believers that say, man, we're going to preach what the Bible talks about. I don't know. I don't understand how we could preach 52 weeks. Pastors, let me answer me this, pastor. How do you, I know I'm making pastors mad here because a lot of you are leaving your churches because you've realized how dead your church is during this lockdown. But let me ask you this. How can you preach 52 weeks and never mention the demonic realm? How could you preach 52 weeks out of the year? You preach 52 times, pastor, and you never mention the reality of hell and how so many believers, the Bible says, are going there that are not on the narrow road. How could you preach 52 times and never even talk about fornication, never even talk about how Jezebel has swept into the church and is holding pastors captive. How can you preach 52 weeks and never talk about laying hands on the sick outside the church and watching them recover? How can you preach 52 weeks and never get on your knees before your congregation and cry out and repent before your congregation? How is it we have 52 52 services in a year and you would be hard pressed. If I told you I will give you a thousand dollars and I'll give you six months to go randomly every Sunday to a different church in your city. And if you find one church that will preach on the demonic realm in, in, in six months, or that will preach on hell or preach on repentance or the narrow road or preach on breaking away from the culture, I will give you a thousand dollars. I guarantee after six months, you would not find one church in your city. It is so hard. I get hundreds of messages. Well, my church will praise God for your church. Be excited that you're at a rare church, but it's not like that. I'm telling you, there's people starving all over the world. I'm getting hundreds of messages of people saying, why don't they talk about demons? Why don't they talk about how I could get breakthrough? And why aren't they preaching how Jesus drove demons out of people in the church? It's time to break out of the fake. I saw people last I saw people last night saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're making us wear these masks out in public, and how dare they make us wear masks out in public, and if I don't wear a mask, I'm not going to wear a mask, and you know what my first thought was? I'm not sure why you're so mad that the government's making us wear a mask over our face, when some of you, oh, I feel like preaching tonight, some of you have been wearing a mask on your face for years. Don't get mad that the government's making you wear a little mask over your face. You've been wearing a mask for years. We have all these masks that we put on in the church and all these personalities and there's some days where I don't even know what person I'm going to get some days you're happy some days you're mad some days you're depressed some days you feel like worshiping I knew some of y'all weren't going to shout right there some days you feel like worshiping some days you feel like not and I'm wondering what person am I going to get today we don't even know is it going to be the Christian you is it going to be the angry you today is it going to be the bitter you today is it going to be the confused you today or the gossip you today we are so up and down and the Lord is saying take off the mask that you've been wearing and you've been hiding behind some of you so angry always wearing that mask you got to get exhausted with being the fake you and some of you are so fake you don't even know you're you have so many personalities that when you lay and I'm preaching to somebody this is not on notes but when you lay your head on your pillow at night you don't even know what you you are you confuse yourself you're like am I mad today am I tired today because you're just so living in so many different realities and God forbid you accidentally wear your work mask to church come on how many preach 
preach tonight. God forbid you get to work and wear your church mask, and God forbid you get to church and wear your work mask, and that's why some of you, let me tell, oh, I got to go there, I got to go there. That's why some of you slip and you cuss and you go, I don't know where that came from. I know where it came from. It came from your work mask. It came from your college mask. The reason why you cussed is because you you thought you were wearing your mask at work and you forgot you're home with the kids now and you're so used to that mask you were wearing. Take off the mask. Get tired of being fake. God, I am tired tonight of being so fake. I'm tired of faking my way through the day. People mad. Oh my gosh, we have to stay at home. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And I'm going, what, what is it stopping you from doing? It wasn't like you were out of it. Listen, if, if, it, if it says, if it hurts, say ouch. If not, just say amen. But I don't know why you're mad that you have to stay at home when you weren't out evangelizing in the first place. You weren't out praying for people in the first place. You weren't even sharing your faith with people at school and at work. And now we have the whole church. Oh my gosh, the government's making us stay at home. And I'm going, you were never even preaching to anybody. I mean, you were do, you're doing the same thing right now that you were doing six months ago. Thank you so much, Vince Stranges, for that. You were doing the same thing six months ago, sitting on your couch doing nothing. So don't get mad now that you have to stay home when we weren't even out evangelizing. Well, well, brother, they closed my church. You mean the church you barely even went to? Should I pause here for some of you just to put on some aloe vera because I'm burning y'all? Uh, you didn't go. You didn't even go to the church. You barely even went. We had to beg you to come to church. We had to beg you to come to prayer. We had to beg you to fast. We had to beg you to pray. And now you're like, well, they closed my church down. What the church you never even went to I mean we are lucky if we could get you in every three weeks well I had to go on a vacation I had to go this and work overtime and we have all these other things that are priorities over God and God is saying when am I going to be your priority when am I going to be the thing that makes you come alive when am I going to be the thing you're excited about some of you can't even log into the stream that your church has I have so many friends that have churches of thousands of members and they're saying Isaiah I can't even get more than 50 people in my stream what is going on it's because we're not faithful we can't even log into a facebook stream some of you men you can't even show up on time to the stream i mean come on i'm gonna get off this here in a minute because i got a message i need to preach and i'm already hour in. i'm barely getting warmed up but i'm telling you right now some of you can't even make it on time to the facebook stream and you can't wait till church opens back up am i excited for church to open up no duh i'm excited but i'm telling you guys don't wait until the buildings open back up to get a revelation that you can live this thing out every single day that God wants to touch you and God wants to anoint you every single day. Take the mask off and start sharing your faith. Some of you are just more worried about how things look than how things are. This is because of our social media generation. The reason why we're so fake as a body of Christ is because we live in a social media generation that says don't worry if things are good as long as you make things look good as long as everything looks good it doesn't matter if it is good your marriage could fall apart as long as it looks good on social media your kids could be falling apart as long as they look good on social media your church could be going through hell as long as they look good on social media i have pastors call me says hey you wouldn't believe what i what i'm going through and i said i wouldn't believe because of your social media you only post the highlights and some of you let me tell you something why you're so depressed and full of anxiety you keep looking at 
at other people's ministries and trying to compare your behind the scenes to their highlight reel. Let me say that again for the people sitting in the back tonight. You keep comparing your behind the scenes life to somebody else's highlight reel and you have to understand something that people do not post the bad that they go through. Not everything is perfect. There's often times on the way to church you're getting about to stream where the kids are going crazy. We don't get on here and share all those things, but we have to stop comparing our, our behind the scenes and our life at home with people's lives on social media. That's why some of you men, if, if only my husband was like that, if only my wife was like that, and you're exhausted because you're trying to be like every, you're trying to be everyone that you're not. Other people are, you're comparing to this and to that. If my wife was like this, if my husband was like her, if only my following was like Isaiah's following, if only my numbers were like Isaiah's following, if only my kids were like that, and you might look at that and say, but you don't understand the hours that I spend. You don't, you don't see me staying up till two o'clock in the morning praying and studying and you're saying man I wish I had that but you're not willing to put in the time you're not willing to put in the energy you're not willing to put in the work I've sat with so many guys that say Isaiah I want to learn how to preach without notes how do you preach without notes I don't understand it and I've sat hours with guys and you know what if I'm honest and I know some of them might go back and watch this but I apologize most of the guys that I taught to preach without notes none of them are preaching without notes right now not because I didn't teach them good but because they weren't willing to put the time and the energy and the effort it takes to memorizing your message and to preaching in the spirit they want something easy they want something quick and God is looking for people that would be consistent God is not looking that people to be up and down that would wear costumes that's why Roman says to put on Christ I don't put on the person at work I don't put on the person at neighbor I don't want to try to be like that person or be like this person I need to put on Christ. I've often said it. The best actors are not in Hollywood. The best actors are in the, in the American church. If we had a golden gloves, golden gloves, golden globes, or an Oscars for the American church, you would see all the major pastors that are a bunch of actors, all the Christians, a bunch of actors. We have so many good actors and always, oh, how are you being so mean? You want to know what Jesus said when he showed up to the churches? He said, y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. That word hypocrite literally means to be an actor. It was when they could not uh, afford to hire two actors they would hire one actor and they would ask him to play two different roles and he would have a mask and one he would play one role and then he would play another role and God is saying there's too many hypocrites in the body of Christ that are playing multiple roles it's time to get back to living consistently God says I don't want you to be up and down I don't want you just to look like a Christian I want you to be like a Christian some of you want all the benefits but you don't want to put in the work and we need to be careful because our religiosity is actually testing God. This is in Luke chapter 10 that we find the religious experts were actually testing God. The religious scholars and lawyers were testing God. In Luke 10, the Bible says the lawyers and the, and the religious people begin to sit up and begin to ask people questions. You got to understand it's a very dangerous thing when you begin to test God. When you live in constant compromise, when we're constantly on the line, I talked about it last week, constantly gambling with what's wrong and with what's right and constantly gambling with our eternity and constantly gambling with sin and, and riding the line, thinking that I can flirt if I feel like it. I can do drugs if I feel like it. I could drink if I feel like it. I can have sex out of marriage if I want to. I can spend my life addicted to entertainment if I want to. I can gossip if I want to. I can be angry if I want to. As long as it feels right, God's going 
going to forgive me. But here's what you need to understand that just because what you're doing, I felt like preaching to somebody tonight, just because what you are doing is right in your eyes, it doesn't mean that it is right in the eyes of God. What you need to understand is the Bible says that there will come a time where what God calls wrong, man will actually call right. And when God calls right, man will actually call wrong. There will be a time where things will get flipped upside down and we're going to begin to call things that are wrong right. This is the generation that we live in. They're saying, well, we should make pedophilia legal. By the way, if you don't know, they're trying to do that. We should make this. It's okay if a guy's with a guy. It's okay if the girl's with a girl. If it's okay if you're an animal. It's okay if you're a child. None of it matters because now we're calling what the Bible condemns. We are justifying and we have we have used the excuse that, well, it's 2020, brother. You need to adapt and you need to conform. But our God is the same yesterday today and forever and our God does not change and just because what's right in your eyes is right in your eyes it doesn't mean it's right in God's eyes when we live recklessly listen to me very carefully tonight because this could save your eternity when we live recklessly thinking oh it's okay God will forgive me I'll just repent on our deathbed we don't understand that not every one of us get a deathbed I don't know how many friends I've had that have died and did not have a deathbed I know so many people that don't have a chance to repent on their deathbed you say well brother what about the thief on the cross I'll just be like him and I'll get saved and get my act together at the end of my life see he's not the rule he's the exception there's not a lot of us that are going to have an opportunity so we have to live right right now we have to walk holy right now come on help me by sharing the stream we cannot wait until we're on our deathbed some of you need to hear me tonight you need to stop testing the waters you need to stop trying to see how close you can get to the fire without out getting burned that lifestyle you're living leads to destruction how many times do we see on the news another overdose another murder another car accident and you don't realize that you could be that next person that the next hit you take could be the last hit of heroin that you take that the next thing you drink could be the last thing you drink Ananias and, and Sapphira didn't realize that that la- that next sin they committed was the last sin they committed we needed holy fear a reverence and an urgency in the body of Christ to stop playing around. I'm warning you tonight. I feel an urgency to tell you that you are playing with poison. If you are riding the fence, you are playing with poison. It's like those snake charmers. I've seen these videos on Facebook and on YouTube that these guys, they charm snakes. Have y'all seen this? And I, I started researching why are they charming snakes? What is wrong with these people? And this is literally what they say. The reason why they charm the snakes and they play with snakes and they hold poisonous snakes is because they get a rush. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost they get a rush out of playing with poisonous snakes and we look at that and I say man that is so dumb yet we do this all the time with sin if I'm hooked on porn if I'm hooked on drugs if I'm hooked on compromise in the culture then I am playing with the snake and it is only a matter of time before what I thought was fun turns around and bites me it's time to stop playing with the snake get the snake off of your lap and say I know it might be a rush I know it might be this. I know guys that say, well, it's just a rush. The reason why I cheat on my wife, the reason why I text people, it's just there's a thrill I get that I can't get anywhere else. And I'm telling you, you are playing with a poisonous snake. Some of you ladies that are texting that guy at work, you are playing with a poisonous snake. Some of you that are sneaking around and sneaking out and some of you pastors that are getting on that website in the middle of the night and you have that thrill because you're watching those that pornography, you are playing with a dangerous snake and it is only a matter of time before that thing 
thing turns around and bites you. It's the same with lion tamers. You see over and over the lion turns on the master and eats them. You, it's because we have lost respect for what's dangerous. We have actually lost respect. I need you to stay with me and share this. We have actually lost respect for how dangerous our sin really is. We have lost respect for how strong the venom and the sting of sin is. See, here's what the Bible says about sin, that the wages of sin is death, that there is a price to pay, that the fun that you're having, the sin that you're committing is not free, and there is a day called judgment, and I feel chill bumps all down my spine when I say this, but there is a day called judgment where God says, I'm going to ring you up, and I'm going to tell you the price that you have to pay. The Bible says the wages, the price of sin is death, and I want to tell you something right now. You will not be able to afford that on judgment day. You will not be able to afford to pay the price of sin, and that is why the Bible said Christ came and said, you can't pay. Somebody needs to get excited right now. Christ said, you can't pay for this. You can't afford the price of sin, so I'm going to come and I'm going to pay the price for your sin. How much does it cost? It costs my son's life, and God says, okay, if the price of sin is my son's life, he writes the check and sends his son to the earth. How long does it take for a check to clear? It takes about three to five business days for the check to clear once you write it, and God wrote that check, and that check was his son, and three days later, I feel like running around here tonight, and three days later, the check cleared, and Jesus rose out of the grave and said, I have paid the price for your sin, and not just for your sin, but the sins of the world, that there was a man that paid a price so that you could get set free from addiction, you could get set free from pornography, you could be set free from drugs, stop being entertained by what Jesus died to set you free from, stop playing with the snake that Jesus came to crush the head of, see the Bible says that Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, and I hear the Lord saying, I'm getting ready to crush the head of every demonic force that's bound you up, I command right now every demonic spirit that's listening to this broadcast, I command you to let these people go and to break the coil that you've wrapped around them, that that spirit of that python has tried to wrap around and choke the life out of you. But God says, I'm getting ready to breathe back on the inside of you, and I'm getting ready to give you life back. Some of you feel dead on the inside, and God says, I'm going to give you passion back. I'm going to give you life back. Come on, help me as I lose my voice. I'm going to restore what the enemy tried to do. Stop testing God. Stop testing God. This is what I was telling pastors, and I know a lot of you are going to disagree, and it's okay. We could still be friends if you disagree. Well, they were, they were meeting say, well, we should still meet, even though we are at the peak of the coronavirus. And I'm saying we need to be careful that when we test God and say it's totally fine, and this is fine, and this is fine, and God says, do not test the Lord your God. That is why when Jesus was about to was was um, being tempted by the devil, the devil said it's fine, just jump, nothing's going to happen. And Jesus says, yes, the Bible also says, do not test the Lord your your God. See, the devil was trying to use scripture to get Jesus to live recklessly. The devil was trying to use scripture to get Jesus to live and to do whatever he wanted, but the Bible says, do not test the Lord your God and every time you sin thinking, oh God's just going to forgive me, you are testing God and it's time to stop testing God. See, the religious person said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? See, this man in one sense was testing God in Luke 10, but in another sense, he had a genuine desire to know, what do I need to do to get to heaven? This was the 
question going on in that day. What do I need to gain eternal life? The man is a lawyer. He is an expert in religious law, but he understands something that religion will not get me to heaven. For I want to tell you tonight that religion cannot save you, that we have bought into the lie that if I go to church and if I pray a prayer and if I'm a good person and if I rub my rosary once in a while, then I'll gain eternal life. But what you need to understand is that eternal life is not gained through religious activity. Eternal life is gained through a relationship with Jesus. I want you to think about how often you've asked yourself, what must I do to gain eternal life? I want you to think about how often you've asked yourself, what must I do to be saved? See, this is what the rich young ruler asked. This is what Nicodemus asked. We spent all our time on our jobs here on earth, all of our time storing up our retirement, all of our time on our college degrees, all of our time on building up our family and in this temporary life. But even the atheist, atheist knows this, that one day I will breathe my last breath and none of this stuff on earth is going to matter. So what should my focus be? What should my goal be? What should my life revolve around? I'm glad that you asked me. It should revolve around eternity. All I should be thinking about is eternity. I should not be worried about this life. See, this will help you when you're going through struggles during this season that we're in right now. It's because you'll be like Paul and say, I consider these present trials nothing when I compare them to the glory that is laid before me, that there is a greater glory and there is a promise that God has for us. And that's called life with him for all of eternity. And I want somebody in the chat to say, I'm getting ready to take my eyes off this temporary world and realize that there is more to this life than what my eyes can see. There is something in the invisible realm. There is something in the unseen realm. There is something about eternity that I need to worry about and that I need to focus on. I need to stop worrying about this life here on earth. So this man, this lawyer of religious law in Luke 10, stay with me. He's asking Jesus and here's Jesus's response. Now, how many people know if, if we're going to ask a question, I want to know what does Jesus have to say? We don't need to try to find a verse. Jesus already tells us the answer to the man's question. Here's what Jesus says. What does the law of Moses say? In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to point you back to the Bible. When you're asking questions in life, we always need to go back to the Bible. I don't understand y'all. Why are we inventing new ways to get saved? Why are we inventing new ways to evangelize? Why are we trying to invent new ways to live holy, new ways to have church, new ways to get people healed, new ways to prophesy, new ways to convert people. But if it worked then, if it worked then, then it will work now. What does the Bible say? That should be the question. Well, should I go do this? What does the Bible say? Well, should I watch this? What does the Bible say? Well, should I pray for this person? What does the Bible say? The same answer Jesus gave the man is the answer that should govern our lives. What does the Bible say? Now the methods might change. Okay. I'm on here on Facebook live. Jesus didn't have Facebook live. Praise God. We reached 4 million people last month on Facebook live. Praise the Lord. The methods might change. Okay. But the same message I'm preaching here on Facebook live, y'all hear me preach. I'm not changing my message. Although I've changed the method, I'm not changing the message. And we have this 2020 version of Jesus that tolerates and allows what the Bible condemns. We allow the things, but I'm telling you, if laying hands on the sick worked in the Bible, then laying hands on the sick will work today. If casting out demons worked in the Bible, it will work today. If holiness worked in the Bible, it will work today. If preaching the unfiltered gospel worked in the Bible, it will work today. 
away. We don't need another sermon series. Pastors, I need you to turn me up and listen to me right here. We don't need another sermon series based on the popular movies in theaters, okay? We're going to do Night at the Movies. All of your dumb series. Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. All of your powerless series that you're trying to do to help the people in your church are not helping the people in your church. What we need is a fresh move of God. What we need is the fire of God. Come on, somebody needs to help me. We need the fire of God to return to the altars of the American church. We need somebody to get so hungry and so desperate that God starts moving in your dead church. You need to say, God, if nobody else wants it, I'll be the altar. I'll be the sacrifice. I'll be the one to shout. I'll be the one to praise. Jesus says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? In other words, Jesus is giving us a secret here that it's possible to read the Bible wrong. There are so many of us that are reading the Bible wrong when it comes to dying to self. How do you read that? When it says no liar, no fornicator can inherit the kingdom of God. How do you read that? When Jesus says the road is narrow, how do you read that? Everyone is reading the Bible in so many different ways, yet the Bible makes it very clear when it talks about holiness. The Bible makes it very clear when it talks about salvation. The Bible makes it very clear when it talks about marriage. The Bible is not confused. If you're around confused believers, you're in the wrong place. If your pastor is confused, if your pastor stands up and says, well, I just don't really know about marriage anymore, about this, and you're, pa- you're at the wrong church. We should not be confused. Friend, I have not been confused about one thing that the Bible says because the Bible is very clear on what it has to say. We need to read the Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Spirit will lead us into truth. That is why Jehovah Witnesses use the Bible. Mormons use the Bible because they don't have the Holy Spirit, so it's not truth without the Holy Spirit, but we need the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, the man answers Jesus. Remember, they're having this conversation, and the man answers and says, love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart. That's all my emotions, all my soul. That's my personality, all my strength. That's every fiber of my being, all my mind, all of my thought life. I believe tonight God says, I want some of you to love me in your mind. I want to cleanse your thought life tonight. I want my thought life to be renewed. I mean, imagine if somebody could hear our thoughts. I'm preaching to myself. I'm just, I'm talking about myself as well. Imagine if people could hear our thoughts. Some of us would be so freaked out if the people around us could hear what we are thinking. But the Bible says, so a man thinketh, so a man is. And God says, tonight, I'm getting ready to restore your mind. I'm getting ready to restore your soul, your heart, your strength. I'm getting ready to renew you. And after all these things, he says this, and I want you to love your neighbors as you love yourself. He says, the same way that you love yourself, the same way you want the best for yourself, the same way that you're obsessed with yourself, the same way you always make sure that you're satisfied and you're fed and you feel good. He says, I want you to love other people with the same intensity that you love yourself with. I want you to love other people with God's love and with God's strength. Because if you love God with all your soul, all your mind, all your heart, all your strength, God says, I'll give you my mind. I'll give you my strength. I'll give you my peace. I'll give you my joy. Jesus says, right. The man's answer was right. He says, right. Do this and you will live. Now notice, I want you to pay attention very close here. The man says, what must I do? 
to gain eternal life. And Jesus doesn't say what to do to gain eternal life. Jesus says, if you do this, you will live. Understand something. The man's question wasn't about how do I live? It was about how do I get to heaven when I die? Oh, hear me tonight. But Jesus realizes our need is not just to have a place to go when we die, but it's about being alive while we're on this earth. You can be breathing. Hear me very closely tonight you can be breathing and not be alive. This is why we go to drugs. This is why we go to sex. This is why we go to drinking. This is why we go to addiction. It's constantly chasing that feeling of being alive, constantly chasing that desire to be alive. And Jesus says, you can do all those things, but if you do these things, you'll never feel alive. He says, but I will give you life. I will give you true life. I'll give you a reason to get out of bed. I'll give you a reason to wake up in the morning. I'll give you a reason to to be excited about life. I cannot described you how good it feels to be alive but I can tell you how bad it felt to be dead for 19 years and some of you are dead right now you might be you might be alive in the natural realm but you're dead in the spiritual realm and Jesus says I'm not just worried about where you're going when you die I'm worried I'm worried about giving you life on this earth and the Bible says the man wanting to justify his actions says well who is my neighbor he is acting like oh man this is good preaching here tonight. He is acting like he doesn't know what he should be doing with his Christian life. Claiming ignorance does not justify disobedient. See, as a believer, as we justify our laziness and our lack of dedication by saying, well, we need more teaching. We don't, we act like we don't know what we need to be doing. We justify the fact we're lazy, justify the fact that people are preaching to us, but we're not living out the preaching, justify the fact that we're religious, but we're not living right, justify the fact that we have no fruit. So we say, well, if I just get more teaching, I'll start praying for people. If I just get more teaching, I'll start prophesying to people. If I just get more teaching, so we're we're sermon after sermon, live stream after live stream, and we're been watching all these preaching, all these teachings, but we're never demonstrating it. Friend, we don't need more teaching. We need more demonstration. Come on, share this stream tonight. We need more people that are going to start walking it out and getting serious about the things of God. We have to stop acting like we don't know what we're doing. I get hundreds of messages. Isaiah, what's my calling and what's my purpose? You're calling and your purpose is to raise the dead. If you listen very closely, if you don't know what you're called to do and what your purpose on this earth is, it's to raise the dead, it's to preach the gospel, it's to heal the sick, it's to make disciples, and it's to baptize people. Well, I work, I didn't ask you where you work. If you work at that job, your job, at, your, your, your calling at that job is to raise the dead, is to preach the gospel, is to heal the sick, is to make disciples, is to baptize people. What if I'm a police officer? It's to raise it. What if I work at a grocery store? It's to raise the dead, it's to preach the gospel. Well, what if I work at a college. It's to raise the dead. Your assignment does not change based on your job occupation. Your location changes. And God says, I want you to do it wherever you are. So Jesus has to tell the man the story because the religious people still are not understanding Jesus. So Jesus begins to talk about a Jewish man, the Bible says, that is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He is on a 16 mile journey. See, here's what you need to understand tonight, that every one of us are on a journey and every one of us, of, of us are on a road. We are either on a narrow road or we are on a broad road. Jesus said there is a narrow road that we never hear preached about, but there is a narrow road, the Bible says, that is difficult and few people will ever find it, but it's the road that leads to life and there is a broad road that leads to destruction and the Bible says many people travel by that road. I see so many people that are going down the wrong road and the end of the road that they're on is leading to life 
life in hell, a life separated from God. And the word repent means to change direction. It literally means, I'm sorry, it literally means to change the way you think, thus turning you around. If you're driving down a road and I see the end of the road you're on leads to a cliff, you better believe I'm going to jump out of the car shouting and screaming. Some of you say, Isaiah, why do you shout that way? Isaiah, why do you scream that way? Because I'm shouting at you to turn around because the road that you're leading on goes off a cliff into an eternity separated from God. Isaiah, why are you so serious? Because I'm shouting at you to turn around that it is only the narrow road that leads to life. I wish somebody would have told me years ago, Isaiah, the path of drinking, Isaiah, the path of parting, Isaiah, the path of atheism, Isaiah, the path of pride and religion. It's the wrong road and it leads to death. And I'm telling some of you turn around tonight. It's time to make a Holy Ghost U-turn and say, I've been on the wrong road for too many years. Those that have ears, let them hear tonight. It's time for you to turn the car around and to go on the path that God assigned. See, this man was on a journey and the Bible says that he was attacked by bandits. This man was attacked on his journey. Understand that bandits don't attack poor people. Bandits don't attack people that have nothing of worth. Bandits don't attack people that don't have something that the bandits want. You can go down the worst city and the worst street. You can go down Skid Row in LA or you can go down the worst street in San Francisco or the worst street in downtown LA and you'll see poor people in the middle of the night walking in the worst areas of the entire city with no fear. I'll tell you why because robbers don't try to steal from people that don't have something. See, the enemy knows that you have something. The reason why the devil has been attacking you is because he knows that you have something that he wants. You have the ability to serve God and he doesn't. You have the power to walk in the spirit and he doesn't. You have the power to perform signs and wonders and miracles. He wants to attack you because you threaten him. He wants to attack you and take away what you have. Remember the devil got kicked out of heaven and God says, now I'm going to give them what you gave up. God has given you what the enemy forfeited in heaven. The enemy has now spent the last few thousand years trying to take from you from what what got taken from him. You got to hold on and say, devil, you can't have it. Oh, I feel like running around tonight. You can't have my calling. You can't have my praise. You can't have my shout. You can't have my worship. Stop giving the robber so easily what he wants. Stop giving up so easily to the enemy. Somebody needs to put up a fight. Somebody needs to raise up a shout. The one that is living on the inside of you is greater than he that lives on the inside of the world. God has anointed you and called you for such a time as this. The Bible says not only did they attack him, but the Bible says they robbed the man. See, everyone is going to get attacked at some point. And some of you have not only let the enemy attack you, but you've let the enemy rob you. See, the devil does not just want to attack you. The enemy wants to rob you. What is robbing you of your joy? What is robbing you of your passion? 
sin? What is robbing you of your purpose? Why are you letting that anger rob you? Why are you letting that addiction rob you? Why are you letting that gossip rob you? Why are you letting those drugs and that relationship rob you? What has been robbing you that God gave you and intended for you to have? I'm done letting anxiety rob me tonight. I'm done letting stress rob me tonight. I'm done letting addiction rob you tonight. Someone needs to look in the enemy and say, I'm done having you rob me. Not only was the man robbed, not only was the man attacked, but the Bible says that the man was stripped of his clothes. This represents his identity. Not only was he stripped, but he was beat up and he was left for half dead. See, he took his identity. The man lost who he was. This is what the enemy will do to you. He'll take away who you are. He will strip you from the identity that Christ wants to give you. You have to look yourself, you end up looking yourself in the mirror and say, who am I? I don't even know who I am anymore. See, I got to a place at 19 years old where the enemy had stripped me from my identity. I didn't know who I was. And I would look in the mirror and say, what have I become? I've become the guy I never wanted to be. I've become the person I promised myself I would never be. What am I doing with my life? Some of us need to do that. Some of us need to realize that the enemy has tried to strip me of my identity. But tonight, God is going to give you back your identity. The Bible says not only did he take his, uh, strip him naked, but he beat him. He beat him up for no reason. The enemy gets pleasure out of hurting you. He gets pleasure out of tormenting you for no reason. I can remember all being beat up by depression and being beat up by anger and beat up by my addiction but then I got saved and now I'm telling you right now I'm not going to let the devil beat me up but I'm going to beat him up I'm not going to let the devil give me a black eye but I'm going to give him a black eye I'm going to fight back tonight I'm going to get aggressive tonight I'm not going to sit around and let the devil beat up my family I'm not going to sit around and let the devil beat up my ministry you, you wouldn't let them beat you up in the world why is it now that you're a Christian you're letting the devil beat you up somebody needs to get some back bone tonight. Somebody needs to put their big boy pants on tonight and say, devil, enough is enough. I'm tired of this. The Bible says not only that, but he left him half dead. Here's the devil's biggest mistake. Oh my gosh. I feel like shouting up in this place. I'm off the top of my lungs, but I feel like jumping and I feel like running. Here's the devil's biggest mistake he made on you. It was the same mistake he made in the story. It was that he never finished off the man. His biggest mistake was he didn't kill you when he had the chance. I've told the devil so many times that you should have killed me when you had the chance. Now I'm going to do some serious damage on your kingdom. Now I'm going to spend the rest of my life destroying what you've built, destroying your kingdom. Some of you are still alive like this man. He was alive, but he felt dead. So you could still be alive, but feel dead. You can still be breathing, but feel dead. The devil wants to leave you on the ground, beat down, broken and robbed and leave you feeling alive, but still dead, leave you half alive, but still dead. But the Bible says this in the story that by chance a priest came along and the Bible says the priest crossed over but went out of his way to make sure he didn't get too close to the man that was beat on the side of the road. Here comes the man. Here comes religion. Here comes the priest. Here comes complacent, apathetic, average Christianity. The man is laying there. He's beat up by bandits. He's half dead. He's hurt and barely hanging on. And religion goes on the opposite side of the road and passes him by. How many times have we done this? How many times have I done this? Seen someone that has what I need. Seen someone that is hurting and is 
is broken and beat down by the culture and went out of my way. Oh, I felt the Holy Ghost tonight. Went out of my way to avoid them. The man spent more work. Hear what I'm saying tonight. This is a prophetic word for you. The man spent more work crossing the road trying to avoid the man than actually dealing with what was in front of him. Sometimes we get so busy with religion that we forget why we're even on this earth. Sometimes we get so busy with church that we forget the church was intended not to entertain believers, but the church was intended to help the hurting and the broken. I don't know about you, but I don't want to pass by the people that God is putting in front of me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to pass by the hurting and the broken and the beat up. The Bible says that the priest passed him by. And then the Bible says his assistant came and also passed him by. Not only did he see him, but the Bible says he looked at him and passed him by. Understand that the American church is only doing what their pastors have taught them. Let me let that sink in for you. The American church is only doing what their pastors have taught them. They are only doing what religion has taught them. They are only doing what American faith has taught them. And we have taught them that it's all about you. We have taught them it's all about your best life now, that you don't need to get dirty, brother. You don't need to help the broken, brother. You don't need to help the hurting, brother. You don't need to go out of your way. And I had a bunch of people message me after I did my stream about casting out demons. And they said, well, my pastor said I shouldn't be doing that. And I'm thinking, imagine this. We live in a day where pastors are are talking people out of God's will. The reason why believers are not casting out demons, the reason why believers are not healing the sick, the reason why believers aren't preaching is because the pastors aren't talking about it. The pastors aren't preaching about it. See, the temple assistant only did what his leader did. You will only go as far as your leader will go. That is why as leaders, we need to take the, we need to step up our game. We need to be above what our followers are. If our followers are reading a certain time, we need to read double that. I'm not going to ask you to pray if I'm not praying. I'm not going to ask you to live holy if I'm not living holy. You have to understand that the assistant only did what he saw his master do. So we we had the mentality that somebody else will help. It's too much effort. This is a toxic mentality that somebody else will do it. Somebody else will help him. Somebody else will help her. Somebody else will witness. Somebody else will pray for them. You need to stop saying somebody else and saying, I'm the person that God has anointed. I'm the person that God has called. I'm the person that God has chosen. The Bible says, that a despised Samaritan walked by and ended up putting oil and wine on the man that was beat down and broken. Understand that this was the outcast. This was the rejected. This was the nobody. This was the one the church said that they, that God can't use. This was the one that religion judges. And God says, I finally found someone I can use and someone that I've been looking for. You have to understand something. God is taking the lowly right now. God is taking the drug addicts, the drug dealers, and the atheists, and God is raising them up and using them because God can't find any religious people to use. I believe 10 years ago, the reason why God raised me up when I was an atheist was because God couldn't find anyone in the church that was willing to get their self dirty and to dig in and to help those that are broken and help those that are lost. We have to realize and we have to understand that God will raise up the lowly and God will raise up the broken and God will raise up the Kanye West. The reason why God raised up Kanye West is because mega church pastors are not willing to get dirty and to do what God has called them to do. That is why once they got invited, they didn't come to the wedding banquet. The Bible says to go into the highways and the byways and to invite those that were never originally invited. Friend, you have to understand that this is the hour where God is raising up nobodies and turning them into somebodies. This is the hour where God is going to take the people that nobody wants and turn them into the people that everybody wants. You watch and see. The Bible says the man put oil and put wine on them. The oil is the Holy Spirit. It represents the anointing 
healing. I'm telling you here tonight, the oil is getting ready to heal your wounds. The oil is what takes away your pain. The oil has the power to cleanse you. I remember when I was laying on the side of that road, beat up, broken with no purpose and no identity, and someone came over and put oil on me, and it was that oil that broke my chains. It was that oil that broke my shackles. The announce, the oil breaks the bondage. Then he put wine. The wine is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus can wash your sin. There's nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's no more power than his blood. It's his blood that washes. It's his blood that cleanses. It's his blood that soothes our wounds. If you're in the chat and you're hurting tonight, if you're in the chat and you feel broken tonight, then I have a word for you. Let the blood of Jesus take your pain and take your shame. Let the blood of Jesus wash you. See, the man stopped because he felt compassion. The man realized I have in my bag what this man needs, and I refuse to leave this man the way that I found him. Friend, do you know that what's inside of you, the world needs? Do you know that what's in your spirit, what's in your bag, and what's in your life is what this world needs, and we have to stop leaving people the way that we found them, and we need to stop passing people by. Tonight is a night to say enough is enough. I'm done passing people by. I want to do all that God has called me to do. I have the oil, and I have the wine. I've been equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been equipped with the blood of Jesus, and the Bible says this, that the man picked him up and put him on his donkey. Here's my question for you tonight. Who is on your donkey? Every one of us should have somebody on our donkey. Every one of us should have somebody that we're bringing to the house of God. Every one of us should have somebody that we're mentoring, somebody that we're helping, someone that will take them places that they can't go by themselves. He said, I'm going to take you to the inn. The inn represents God's house. I'm going to take you somewhere where God can heal you. I'm going to take you somewhere where you can get delivered. You need to go find someone and put them on your donkey and bring them in the presence of God. There is healing. There is deliverance. There is breakthrough in the end. There is freedom at the altars. There is freedom in the presence of God. God right now wants to restore and wants to heal. Not only did he bring him to the end, but the Bible says he paid to make sure that the man was healed and restored because there is a price to helping the hurting. It's going to cost you something. It costs Jesus everything. This is the reality. It's going to cost us something if we want to change lives. It's going to cost us something if we want to help people. Come on, help me in the chat tonight. It's going to cost us something if we want people to be free. It's not going to be easy. It might cost you money. It might cost you time. There is a price, but did not our God pay the ultimate price on the cross? Paid the ultimate price so we could be delivered. Paid the ultimate price so we could be free. He said, here, I'm going to pay for this guy to be free and delivered. And if it comes out to be more, I'll pay even more. Some people are going to cost an extra price. Some people that you're going to disciple have, they're gonna, it's going to cost you more energy it's going to cost you more time and more money to disciple them. But I'll know about you, but I'm like this guy. I'm willing to pay a higher price. Somebody paid a price for me, so I'm willing to pay a price for somebody else. I'm telling you right now, we have to understand that it is our time as the body of Christ going back into our churches that we need to stop passing the loss by. We need to stop being entertained and we need to start getting equipped and say, I am ready to do what God has called me to do. There are three main characters in the story and every Every one of us fall in line with one of these people and I'm going to do an altar call here. I'm going to pray for you here and I'm going to read donations. I'm going to answer questions. I'm going to hang out and talk with the chat. There are three people in the story. 
Number one, there's the religious man who is who overlooked the loss and knew all about church, but did not put his knowledge into action. That's many of you in the chat right now. Number two, there was the Jewish man who was robbed and beat by bandits. That's some of you that have been robbed and beat and you're broken tonight and God's going to heal you. Number three, there was the good Samaritan who stopped to actually help despite not being qualified to help. That's some of you right now. You say, Isaiah, I might not be qualified or educated, but I want to help somebody. If that's you, if you're any of those three people, tonight is the night just type one I'm gonna pray for you father I ask you right now God's let us stop passing people by father we are asking right now that you'd give us a new conviction father we are asking right now that you'd give us a new hunger and a new desire father we are tired of passing by the lost we are tired of passing by those in the church that are broken those in the world that are hurting those that are out there that need our help father we are so tired of passing people by father we ask tonight give us a new conviction we ask tonight give us a new desperation on the inside of us to say no more passing by the hurting no more passing by the broken. We've been given the same spirit that raised Christ. We've been given everything we need. We've been given the oil and we've been given the wine. So Father, we ask you right now that you'd empower us. Father, there's some of those that are hurting and are broken and they've been robbed. They've been stripped of their identity. They've been stripped of their clothing and tonight you're going to heal them. I speak healing over you right now in the name of Jesus. I speak restoration right now over you in the name of Jesus. Some of you that have lost your identity, it's time to get your identity back. Some of you that have let the devil rob you, I speak right now that God's going to give you double for your trouble and God is going to restore what the enemy has tried to take from you. Some of you have been left for dead. It's time to get life and passion back. Father, we are asking right now, Lord, there are some that are in the chat and they're like the good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. They're uneducated, they're unskilled, but God, you have a mighty plan to use them in this next day revival. So Father, we ask you tonight that you will use them like never before. God, we ask you to use your people like never before. We ask you to anoint them like never before. And Father, I pray if you raise me up, then you can raise them up. So tonight, God, we are asking you to raise them up in the name of Jesus. Tonight is their night, God, for breakthrough. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.